That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from one mile away when it happened. So I know what it looks like when the experts get it wrong. This week, we're going to revisit one of Nuclear Hot Seat's most popular interviews with veteran journalist Carl Grossman. If you've ever wondered why there's no news about Fukushima in mainstream media and how this media blackout is enforced virtually worldwide, today's interview connects the dots from before Hiroshima to now. Carl shares expertise honed during more than 45 years of reporting in an extended nuclear hot seat interview. It will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, January 29, 2013, and here is the week's nuclear news. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission technical staff from the Japan Lessons Learned Task Force briefed the House Energy and Commerce Committee on their recommendations. They want to order all GE Mark I and Mark II boiling water reactors in the United States, a total of 31 Fukushima-style reactors, to install a severe accident-capable venting system with radiation filters on the unreliable containment systems. The modifications would not need to be completed before December 31st of 2017 and the NRC staff concluded that with the modifications, operators might better manage a severe nuclear accident after the reactor core starts to melt down, initiating the release of massive amounts of radioactivity and the generation of explosive hydrogen gas. The results of their meeting with the House Energy and Commerce Committee? The Republican membership attacked them. This despite the fact that many of the Republican members have dangerous and vulnerable Fukushima-style reactors operating in their states. The House Republicans are recommending that the Commission further study the implications of the Fukushima reactor explosions and massive land contamination in Japan for U.S. reactor containments. So they haven't learned the lessons of Fukushima. What will it take? Here in Southern California, the NRC has pushed back the date when it would make a decision on the fate of the San Onofre nuclear power plant. The facility has been shut down for nearly a year because of issues with unusual wear on the steam generator tubes and the lack of an adjudicated evidentiary hearing on the design changes before the NRC approved the new steam generators. The commission had previously said it might make a decision as soon as March, but it is now projecting a late April or early May date. NRC spokesman Victor Drix said the timeline was extended because additional on-site inspections were required. The schedule remains tentative, he added. Edison said in a statement, As we have said from the beginning, there is no timeline on safety. That's right, that's because you've never made a timeline that included safety. The only timeline for safety on nuclear is shut it down forever and then figure out what to do with the crap you've created. To keep us in the loop of how usual, quote-unquote, unusual events are at the NRC, unusual event being the name that they give to level one alerts that there's a problem with the plant, we're just going to track it from now. This week, there was one on the 22nd of January at the Fermi Nuclear Power Plant in Michigan. We're going to keep a box score going on this to see just how many of these little buggers happen in the course of the weeks, the months, and the years. U.S. utilities that are building reactors at Vogel and Summer have submitted license amendment requests intended to clarify concrete reinforcement requirements. The pouring of the reactor's concrete base mats, the recognized event by which construction on a new reactor is deemed to be officially underway, has yet to be performed at either site. Why? Because Houston, we have problems. The NRC found issues with the design and installation of rebar and the way it was anchored into auxiliary and shield buildings. This past September, NRC inspectors identified issues with the shear reinforcement for the base mat at summer, which also affected Vogel. 
Inspectors could not verify that the spacing of shear reinforcement bar met the prescribed maximum. There's a lot more technical information here, but let's just say that they want to build a nuclear reactor and they can't get the concrete base of it right? Oi. It appears that four days after the earthquake and tsunami that inundated the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, on March 15th at Yokosuka Naval Base, which lies about 186 miles from Fukushima, alarms went off indicating an increase in radiation levels. As a result, all women and children on the base were immediately ordered to evacuate. The U.S. military is still keeping quiet on this story, and it's only coming to light now. What else are they hiding? GG Press reports that Fukushima faces severe labor shortages for decontamination work following the 2011 nuclear accident. This, they say, is because of fears over radiation exposure and low pay. According to the Labor Ministry's Fukushima Labor Bureau, only about 10% of some 1,800 jobs offered for decontamination work in the prefecture get filled. Gee, I wonder why. The largest nuclear power plant in the world may be forced to shut down under tightened rules proposed by Japan's new nuclear watchdog agency. Fukushima operator Tokyo Electric Power's vast Kashiwazaki Kariwa plant in central Japan could be on the chopping block if the Nuclear Regulatory Authority expands the definition of an active fault. The Nuclear Regulatory Authority is planning to define an active fault as one that moved any time within the past 400,000 years, rather than the current 120,000 to 130,000 year limit. This could spell the end of the TEPCO facility. There are at least two quote-unquote non-active faults under the site's reactors that would be redefined under this new definition and force the closure. And here's the Numbnuts of the Week award. A Dutch designer has created what he's calling critical blocks, a toy set of blocks for children to play with, that represent a nuclear power plant. The designer said, I'm not going to give his name because I don't want to promote the product. The designer said, the children thought the miniature nuclear power plant was completely normal and even fun. They didn't know anything about the political and societal aspect. I love this contrast. The innocent world of children as opposed to the serious, large-scale and at times painful adult world. Yes, an adult world which is poisoning them. What fun! Can you spell propaganda? Internationally, it looks like nuclear spin speak is going forth with its coordinated talking points. The Czech Republic's Ministry of Environment has concluded that the construction of two more units at the existing Temelin nuclear power plant site will not have a significant environmental impact. Significant. There's that, Missy, don't you worry, your pretty little head, word so beloved of nuclear industry spin meisters. At the same time, there has been draft approval for a new Indian nuclear site. The six-unit nuclear power plant at Mithivirdi in Gujarat, India, will be, quote-unquote, environmentally benign and sustainable with minimal environmental impact. The English language should sue for misrepresentation and libel with the intent to defraud people of their common sense. A little bit better news out of Bulgaria. Bulgarians have postponed construction of a new nuclear power plant for an indefinite future after a low turnout referendum held on the issue. According to Bulgarian legislation, the referendum is invalid because the turnout should be no less than that of the last parliamentary election in the country. And it was not. Voter apathy worked in our favor for a change. A major Bulgarian polling agency predicted that the ruling GERB party will still have a comfortable majority in parliament, so it will halt the construction of the new nuclear power plant, the Belin Project. And the European Union has gotten really upset over decommissioning failures. 
Cost overruns, delays, lack of coordination, diffused responsibilities, and poor priority setting are among a list of defects in nuclear decommissioning programs in Bulgaria, Lithuania, and Slovakia that were identified in a resolution passed by a European Parliament committee. The EU demanded the early closure and decommissioning of the units, four at Bulgaria's Kozlodwi plant, two at Ighalina in Lithuania, and two at Slovakia's Bohunis V1 plant, on the grounds that the older Soviet-era reactors could not be upgraded to acceptable Western safety standards. The resolution notes that with around one-third of the EU's 143 currently operating reactors expected to reach the end of their working lives by 2025, decommissioning will be an increasingly important issue in the coming years. Growth industry, jobs available. And there's a really good article in Slate.com linking the fall of the Soviet Union to Chernobyl. It's too long to go into here. We will link to it on our website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. Now for this week's interview, a special encore presentation of one of Nuclear Hot Seat's most popular interviews. Powell Grossman has specialized in doing investigative reporting in a variety of media for more than 45 years. He's a full professor of journalism at the State University of New York College at Old Westbury, where his courses include investigative reporting. For over 20 years, he's hosted the nationally aired TV program, Enviro Close-Up, as well as written and presented TV documentaries, including Three Mile Island Revisited, The Push to Revive Nuclear Power, and Nukes in Space, The Nuclearization and Weaponization of the Heavens. He is an associate of the media watch group Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting and the author of six books, including Cover-Up, which you are not supposed to know about nuclear power, Power Crazy, The Wrong Stuff, the Space Program's Nuclear Threat to Our Planet, and Weapons in Space. He currently writes for the Huffington Post, Counterpunch, and it seems like any place else that will have him and his articles. Carl Grossman, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. A pleasure. Now, you are arguably the best journalist our side has produced, with decades of experience covering nuclear stories that leaves a trail of lucidity in their wake. What first drew you to writing about the nuclear problem and the nuclear issues? Well, here where I live on Long Island in New York, there were plans in the uh, in the 1960s to create in the in the parlance of uh, the Atomic Energy Commission and the nuclear establishment then uh, a nuclear park out of Long Island. There were to be seven to eleven nuclear plants on Long Island providing nuclear-generated electricity. So the whole northeastern megalopolis, uh, Shoreham, the Shoreham nuclear power plant, was to be the first of this this amalgam. I was an investigative reporter at that time for the Long Island Press, uh, and uh, I began investigating uh, Shoreham, and I began investigating nuclear power in general. You referred to the current blackout on coverage about Fukushima as the biggest cover-up in history, certainly in the media. How has this been allowed to happen? What is our history with nuclear, and how has it come to this point that we can't seem to get any news in the media visible? What we're undergoing now, which is a huge cover-up, indeed, the first book I wrote about nuclear power, it's titled Cover-Up, What You're Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power, and Cover-Up is the operative word when it comes to nuclear technology, the suppression of information. It's been going on since the advent of nuclear technology, keeping people in the dark, not letting us know about the lethality of this technology. March of of last year, the the catastrophe of Fukushima, uh, we're living uh, not just in the aftermath. I mean, that's an ongoing disaster, an ongoing catastrophe. But you wouldn't know it from media. Uh, I mean, there's nothing. When was the last time you you read or heard or saw regarding mainstream media and any information about, about Fukushima? People, lots of people are going to end up dead, not just in Japan, but all through the world because of the, uh, the radioactivity released and continuing to be released out of those, uh, we're talking about six nuclear power plants at Fukushima Daiichi. Uh, but the uh, the media have been uh, 
basically silent. I mean, Joseph Goebbels, the the Nazi propaganda minister, would smile in his grave uh, to see how the uh, the nuclear establishment has handled quite successfully the Fukushima disaster. How has this been possible for a story of this magnitude to be manipulated out of public consciousness so that even the best, most dedicated reporters are either not able to cover it or if they cover it, they aren't able to get their stories placed? There's a long story behind that uh, that lack of story. The beginning was the Manhattan Project. This was the crash program during World War II to build atomic weapons. And Leslie Groves uh, was uh, the head of the Manhattan Project, and he made a special visit to the New York Times, and he made arrangements, Leslie Groves did, to hire the Times science reporter, William Lawrence, at the, at the Manhattan Project. An excellent book on this. I mean, I've written a lot about it, but uh, a superb book that I would recommend is News Zero, The New York Times and the Bomb by uh, Beverly Kiever. She details in the book how, how General Groves goes to the Times, negotiates with its publisher and its top editorial people, having Lawrence go out to the Manhattan Project. His salary, she writes, would continue to be paid by the Times to his wife while he would be on government salary. This is the beginning of disinformation on nuclear So this, this, these meetings took place actually before the atom bomb was created, but while it was still in the developmental process and it was still completely hidden. Is that correct? Manhattan Project was an ultra-secret project, but in the thinking of those behind it, even then, controlling the press, suppressing the press, lying to the press was pivotal. I mean, you could defend some of what happened to a degree. It was World War II and so forth. Well, for example, when the United States first tested a nuclear device, it was called the Trinity Test. It was out in New Mexico. El Gordo. This is the El Gordo bombing range. This is a month before the bombs were actually dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They, they would have this device explode in the middle of the night, and it would light up, and it did light up a good portion of the Southwest. How to keep that from an inquiring media? Uh, how to how to uh, lie about it? Well, Lawrence, the New York Times reporter, it turns out, writes a press release prepared to be issued once this device is uh, is ignited, claiming there had been an ammunition dump explosion. It's given to the Associated Press when inquiries begin to mount, and that's what the press went with. A very small story had been that there was an ammunition dump explosion uh, at the Almogordo Range. So this is the start of the media manipulation that we were not being forthcoming even at the beginning. There may have been security reasons back then, but they were already thinking far in advance of how to spin the story to take people's eyes off of what was actually happening. As you say, it was the war, there were security reasons and so forth, but what soon happens uh, is equally outrageous. Lawrence pleads to go on the Enola Gay, the, the B-29 that drops the first atomic bomb uh, to be used in war on Hiroshima. They wouldn't let him on the Enola Gay. They allowed him on a chase plane that followed the, uh, the bomber that went into Nagasaki. But the bombs are dropped, and then he, he writes a story. I mean, I've seen it on, on microfiche in the New York Times about now. He writes about the Trinity Test being present. It was like being present at the creation. I mean, he, he lauds what he has seen. And furthermore, he has prepared, Lawrence, a 10-part series on the, on the wonders, the glories of the Manhattan Project, which is distributed by his paper. Now he's back in New York, his paper, the New York Times, to papers, newspapers all around the country for free. And the series does not use the word, hardly at all, radioactivity, period. And then Lawrence goes on and on for years. Uh, writing about the wonders, the, the great things about nuclear technology. So we have a basis already for the first news about this new technology being rigged. It's it's all pre-written. He's lauding it. He's on the side. He's actually been in the pay of the nuclear industry, the nascent nuclear industry, the government, before he actually gets the story out. But it's already prearranged that it was going to be positive with no criticism. So from that point to later in the process, how did the media evolve around the nuclear issue? From right off, 
William Lawrence is one reporter for a very important newspaper. That's why Groves went to the Times, considered the paper a record. But this becomes um, emblematic of the general situation. For, for example, just let me read perhaps the first couple of sentences in my book, Cover Up. You have not been informed about nuclear power. You have not been told, and that's been done on purpose. Keeping the public in the dark was deemed necessary by the promoters of nuclear power if it was to succeed. Those in government, science, and private industry who have been pushing nuclear power realized that if people were given the facts, if they knew the consequences of nuclear power, they wouldn't stand for it. If people knew that the kind of accidents that happened at Three Mile Island, this book was written in 1980, at the Fermi Reactor, at Browns Ferry, at Windscale, at SL1, among others, the sort of huge catastrophes which have only barely been avoided ought to be expected. They'd be damned upset and would insist a stop be put to nuclear power. So an army of public relations practitioners has been working for decades to, in the jargon of the trade, make the people think of Citizen Adam as a friend before the truth became manifest. How they did it? A variety of ways. In terms of public relations, and uh, well, Edward Bernays is considered to be the father of public relations. Uh, Which is a title that he gave himself. Well, yes, yes, he's quite a... Uh, promoter, period, uh, a, a nephew of Sigmund Freud, incidentally, and, and he defined PR as engineering public consent. There's an excellent book called Propaganda, which he talks about how you do that, how you manipulate. And what occurred in the, the beginnings of uh, this this nightmare of nuclear technology is an army, literally an army, of public relations people went to work. They worked at the National Nuclear Laboratories, which still to this day have huge PR staffs. They worked in the industry. And when you talk about nuclear power, nuclear technology, it isn't just big business. It's big government and big science uh, working hand-in-hand with big media. So, I mean, any journalist who writes a story, if you're going to write a story about Fukushima, you're going to do a story about San Onofre, you do a story at Indian Point, you do it in a newspaper, you do it on an internet site, you do it on TV, you do it on radio. You can expect a reaction from uh, a squad of this nuclear public relations army uh, to get to your editor, to get to your news director almost immediately and begin to apply pressure. But it's more than that, too. It's who owns the media. I mean, the, the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power worldwide are General Electric and Westinghouse. I mean, during the Manhattan Project, our government often contracts out work. You'll go to a government site and you'll see security is whacking hut. A government loves to do that. And during the Manhattan Project, a lot of the work was done by General Electric and Westinghouse, these two huge corporations. And afterwards, historically, 80% of nuclear power plants worldwide uh, are of uh, General Electric or, and or Westinghouse design and or manufacture. Again, the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power. What company for decades owned NBC and all the various uh, offshoots of the, the CNBC and the, uh, General, General Electric. Electric? What company for many years owned CBS? What, it was Westinghouse. Uh, Westinghouse. So here you have, you know, I mean... The Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power owning these media institutions that, uh, if you believe in the press being a watchdog, that that is the press's mission, and I believe that is the press's mission, and that, in fact, is the ideal in the United States for a... Free and independent press so that we can hold the government's feet to the fire under any circumstance and be the informers to the public. The framers of the republic figured out we'll have checks and balances, a legislative and an executive judicial branch, checking and balancing each other. And then a a free press being a monitor, being a watchdog of the whole kit and caboodle. And those behind the nuclear juggernaut worked. They've endeavored for years to corrupt that, to compromise that role of the media, that role of the press, so they could continue with this. With this, uh, one can't imagine a more deadly way to boil water, which is all nuclear technology is about: using fission to boil water. Carl, let's roll this back just slightly. Shoot. When you're talking about corporate 
ownership. I'm wondering, was there an actual mechanism in place that went from corporate owners to uh, to the network to the individual station to the news director to the assignment editor to the reporters? I mean, was there actual communication? Was it just an environment that got created? Were they under direct orders not to cover this? How do you think it became as entrenched as it has become today? Well, again, it's a very complex and broad propaganda program, and it has to do with a lot of those things. I mean, in the United States, censorship mainly, the dynamic of censorship mainly is the sin of omission. You know, if you're working at GE's NBC, you know you're working at Westinghouse's CBS, you know there are certain things you just don't report on. That's one element of it. If, if you're just working at the uh, the Boise Bugle and you want to write about Idaho National Laboratory nearby in Idaho, you know that those folks from Idaho, the PR, the nuclear Pinocchios, the frankly liars for hire at Idaho National Laboratories or any of the national nuclear laboratories or any of the, the companies in the nuclear uh, business, I mean, these folks, and I've dealt with them for decades, make the liars for hire the uh, the Pinocchios of, 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 of the Tobacco Institute, for example, which for decades, I mean, there is a bit of a comparison here, which for decades were able to cover up the relationship between smoking and cancer uh, and to keep the press in line to, uh, to suppress all that. I mean, for, for many decades, uh, the nuclear establishment's PR operation really dwarfs what we had seen from the tobacco industry for many years. You know if you're out there in Boise and you write the piece, you're gonna, your editor or your news director is going to get a call from somebody at Idaho National Laboratory. It's a combination of, of ownership, of, of PR manipulation, and then even further in cover-up, what I did too, is to show interlocking boards of directors between media institutions. I have pages of this in the book of media institutions and components of the uh, of the nuclear industry. In fact, I even went further and showed where financing is often mutual, where, 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 where bank money flows to, in this very well-orchestrated pattern uh, to both. I mean, the bottom line here is a massive, a massive cover-up. And if I could just jump back to a second to Fukushima, the Japanese media cover-up has not been that different nor for different reasons. In fact, and this is one of the elements of the Fukushima story, which has not been covered, in 2009, a company called Toshiba bought Westinghouse. And uh, a company called Hitachi bought the nuclear division of General Electric. So now the, the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power are really are Japanese brands. To the listeners now, how many people have heard that? Uh, among the lack of reporting is that. That's given a, a very important additional reason for the uh, power elite in Japan to cover up uh, so uh, uh, emphatically, so uh, so fully. And now we have the problem that, that even though Japan made that, uh, Prime Minister Noda made the announcement that he was going to um, set a path for no nukes by the 20, by 2030 and then the 2030s, the U.S. stepped in with tremendous pressure and they've had to backpedal from that position. Well, and, and also the nuclear, in fact, it's called in Japan the nuclear mafia, which is a pretty good term. We're talking about Japan's nuclear interests uh, besides U.S. pressure. Uh, has resulted in, oh, we're going to go renewable, we're going to do what Germany's done, we're going to, uh, I mean, it, it's so nuts to have over 50 reactors uh, on this chain of volcanic islands. I mean, disaster, catastrophe was being uh, essentially asked for. But in terms of the media in Japan, the same sort of, of pattern that I've, I've explained has been the situation here in this country for, for many decades. PR manipulation of uh, Dominator, but a lot in Japan had to do with advertising by the nuclear utilities and so forth. And since 2009, here you have these two huge gorillas in the nuclear technology field, uh, Westinghouse and GE, coming out of Japan. So in many respects, the U.S. has created the model for, well, not just the promotion, the push 
for nuclear power and nuclear technology, but the the model for uh, for the cover up. For the, for the suppression of the genuine information. Well, oh, yeah. Paul, as you are, I mean, we've all been aware of aspects of this, but this is really like a unified look at what we're up against and why press releases don't seem to work. We have such a hard time getting reports. Is there, in your vision, any media organization or outlet out there that has the power and the independence to cover this? And how can we who are in the movement move forward in such a way that we are getting this information out so that people can at least have the facts to consider around nuclear as opposed to just the, the, the manipulation? Well, I, I think there's at least two roots here. One, people must do what they can to get media to move on the story. I mean, to call, to to, to demonstrate you know, to do the, the media event, the protests, the demonstrations that media will cover if they won't cover the, the very issues, to write those letters to the editor, to try to push mainstream for what it's worth as much as you can to do what, what the press should do to deal with the uh, the nuclear Pinocchios in the correct way, which is like, get off my back, let the reporters do the job that, they were, that they're supposed to do. So try to do what one can with mainstream media. And while I'm on that subject, and this gets into a whole other area, the, the, the whole issue of reforming media in this country, to, uh, and there's a whole important ongoing campaign to do something about the monopolization and consolidation of media in this country, the corporate control of media, and so forth and so on. Then the, the other major route has to do with, I mean, and this is very revolutionary, it's really only come about in, in, in recent times, using the new technologies of media, new media, like your media, to, to get the information out, to use the Internet in full, to, to do what you're doing uh, in, in, in terms of audio. Uh, I have a company, it's called a nonprofit, it's called Enviro Video, and over 20 years we've produced television programs uh, providing people with information which is well, too hot for television mainstream television, but you can just go to envirovideo.com, which is also, programs are distributed on free speech TV to 200 cable systems around the country to through direct TV and um, Well, you're going to give me a list of media connections, of online connections for that, and they will all be posted with the podcast so that people can just have some click-throughs to be able to start discovering these rich resources that you have. They're rich resources, but what I'd like to say is people have to be empowered to make their own media. A very important issue in recent times about nuclear power is it's become clearly obvious that it's unnecessary, that safe, clean, renewable energy technology can absolutely substitute, can provide all the energy, all the power we need. So the other thing media feel they have to do is not just to sugarcoat nuclear technology and hide the the awful dangers, even in the face of a Chernobyl, in the face of Fukushima, but to discard, to harshly criticize, to ignore the fact that, that say, clean renewable energy technologies are here today and nuclear is, is not needed. And here on the East Coast, you, mean, you take a paper like uh, the New York Times or even worse, Rupert Murdoch's New York Post, uh, campaigning for, uh, well, uh, right now the Nuclear Regulatory Commission wants to extend the licenses of those Two Indian Point plants, which are just 24 miles north of New York. The NRC has already extended the licenses. Nuclear plants were never seen as operating for more than 40 years because the radioactivity so embrittles the metals. Just the, the machines cannot run safely after 40 years. This has always been the conclusion. And in any case, the NRC has now allowed more than 70 of the 104 nuclear plants in the U.S. to run to 60 years is talking about allowing them to run for 80 years, 80 years, can you imagine? That was when they, they introduced a campaign called Is There Life After 60? Oh, uh, you know, they were trying to make a joke out of it, but it, they introduced the idea and then they start building on it and that becomes the campaign. Imagine being in a car, 70 years old, rolling along on, on your local interstate, uh, and, and not only have they been doing the license extensions, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, which is really the Nuclear Rubber Stamp Commission for the for the industry and the nuclear establishment, but the NRC has been rubber stamping operating, in other words, allowing these nukes to run hotter 
and harder. I mean, speaking of asking for disaster, but meanwhile, as I say, there's the New York Times and there's the New York Post and there's Newsday, another major newspaper in the New York metropolitan area, saying, no, no, we should allow these Indian Point plants, which are also on earthquake faults like Fukushima. Just well, and also the terrorists from 9-11 flew directly over Indian Point, and it was actually considered as one of the possible targets. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it wouldn't have been 3,000 Americans dead uh, if uh, it was the American Airlines plane. Mm -hmm. If it would have, instead of hitting the, the World Trade Center, dropped down on one of those nuclear plants just again north of the north of the Bronx line and in fact al qaeda had been then and today uh considering uh, attacks on, on on nuclear power plants in my judgment it's so clear that we must close every nuclear power plant period and and not in 20 years or 10 or 2 now right now and then let's figure out what to do well, with it, it, with, it, it, with the radioactive waste which is a whole a whole other issue but i want to get the focus back on the media yep. so if you were to advise a small local group that has gotten together around their neighborhood nuclear issues be it a plant be it former uh, uranium mining be it uh, radioactive contamination we here in Los Angeles have the uh, very rarely spoken about and virtually unknown nuclear accident that happened in 1959 at the Santa Susana Field Lab in Simi Valley if we wanted if you were to advise us in ways to get our media message out or our message out to the media in a way that they would actually hold on to it, what would your suggestions be? Again, there's many, many paths here. One, get your whistleblowers. And there are whistleblowers. There are, thank God, honest people around still in this world. And some of them have ended up working for the nuclear industry and establishment. Find them or welcome them to come to you and seek to get their story out. The problem is the nuclear establishment will try to discredit those whistleblowers and with a compliant media often succeeds. But the whistleblower, the insider telling about the, uh, the disasters waiting to happen, the catastrophes waiting to happen at these nuclear plants all over the country, very important. Secondly, there's the issue of you don't need a, a catastrophic accident to to, for radioactivity to be released. Every nuclear plant routinely it's called permissible, permissible to our government emissions. They're, they're forever giving off xenon gas and tritium is, uh, is flowing out. Uh, and the consequence has been uh, the, uh, the Radiation and Public Health Project is, is a great source uh, for information about this. The result has been cancer, and we know about the cancer epidemic uh, in our country, the mysterious uh, cancer epidemic that nobody seems to be able to figure out what yeah, it's based well, on, quote-unquote. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, if you believe the nuclear Pinocchios and the others who say it's not us uh, or in the chemical industry, you know, it's all lifestyle, diet, genetics. But, in fact, there are cancer clusters around every nuclear power plant in this country. And the Radiation and Public Health Project, uh, just go to radioactivity.org on the Internet, and you can see the important studies on that. Again, a third route is that this this toxic technology is, as I say, not necessary. And to to um, somehow to communicate to media, or again, getting back to making one's own media with one's websites, with the zines, with pod broadcasting, with video, with you know, on and on in terms of uh, so-called new media, show, explain how whether it's solar or wind or geothermal. I mean, each part of it, or tidal. Way back, in each part of the country, each part of the world would have a different mix, but we could power our society safely. One of the other things, going back to history, which is so important, I'm in this history, in my work, both in print, books, and magazine articles, and on TV, I speak about those few years after the Manhattan Project, 46, 47, 48, and the desperation at those national laboratories that were set up then at Oak Ridge, at Argonne, at, at Los Alamos in particular. I mean, we can continue to build nuclear weapons, uh, which the U.S. did, 30,000 nuclear weapons, including the super, the, the hydrogen bomb under Edward Teller, who was given his own national nuclear laboratory, Lawrence Livermore. But, I mean, there's a limit of how many bombs you could, I mean, you can't, couldn't sell, can't sell to this day an atomic bomb to even an ally, even to England, 
what else could be done with nuclear technology to perpetuate the vested interest created during the war, not just these... All these jobs, all this money all, that was flowing into the laboratories and the research. Uh, right, and the corporations, too, the Westinghouse and GE and so So in those years, 46, 47, 48, come these schemes to use, uh, there was something called Project Plowshare. Well, we'll use nuclear devices as a substitute for dynamite. You would have nuclear-powered airplanes, nuclear-powered rockets, which I've written a lot about, and that's not over now. Yet, I mean, the, the plan now is to uh, have a Mars mission with a nuclear-powered rocket. Well, the, the Curiosity has a nuclear oh. reactor powering it on the surface of Mars right now. That was the first rover sent to Mars, and I've written a lot about that. The earlier rovers were solar-powered, and that worked fine. But uh, then suddenly we needed a plutonium-powered rover, and that's what Curiosity is. In fact, NASA and the Department of Energy and their environmental impact statement for Curiosity set the odds of plutonium being released on this mission. I mean, one out of a hundred chemical rockets explodes at launch. Uh, there's been accidents in the U.S. nuclear space program with uh, the worst was in 1964. A, a SNAP-9A plutonium system aboard a satellite came hurtling back to the Earth with the satellite. It failed to achieve orbit. It disintegrated in the atmosphere, spreading plutonium, plutonium-238, which is actually more radioactive than the plutonium-239, that's produced in nuclear power plants or is used in, in weapons, spreading plutonium-238 all over the planet. Indeed, Dr. John Goffman, the University of California at Berkeley, an MD, PhD, in fact, earlier involved in the Manhattan Project until he saw the light, uh, speaking of, of honest people, had long connected the SNAP-9A accident in 64 to the spike at the time of lung cancer Globally, and in fact, if, if you look at a book on solar photovoltaic, you'll see how NASA was a pioneer in solar power. Yeah, why? Because of this disaster involving the SNAP-9A, and it went to solar power then for satellite. The International Space Station is powered by satellite. So it, this can be done, whether it's in power satellites or the space station or, or a rover for Mars with solar or power our world with solar and wind and geo. It all can be done. The key here, back to, you know, uh, the issue of media, is, is often if you don't have a press, a vigilant, tough media, an honest, independent press being there, things are going to get out of hand, really get out of hand. And, and again, from the very beginning, from the outset, those behind the, uh, the nuclear push realized that they would have to, in any way they could, suppress the press, to limit the press, to control the press, to cover up, and they have, they have, and it's our, and it's a matter of life and death, it's our life and death, it's it's our job today, it's it's our, our mission today, uh, it's our great need today to somehow break the cover-up, to have people understand, I mean, when, when people understand, like after Fukushima, for example, where people got the information and then where they had, and this is very important, to some sort of democratic process to exercise their discretion. Uh, for example, in Germany, after Fukushima, suddenly uh, the folks there really got the message. The Greens won politically. The chancellor of, of, of the nation, uh, despite her scientific background, did 180. All 23 nuclear power plants in Germany, uh, which incidentally were made by Siemens, plans were to close them down as soon as possible. And Siemens, incidentally, this rather big company, uh, took the position that we're out of the nuclear business. We're going to be in the renewable. We're going to be in the uh, safe, clean energy business in Italy. There was, thankfully, uh, media attention to Fukushima. And Berlusconi had wanted to revive nuclear power in Italy. But there, were, uh, there happened to be a referendum schedule. And, boom, 93% of the Italian voters voted against it. <laughs> the end of a nuclear revival in Italy and so forth and so on. So <clears throat> so really the suppression that's going on here is crucial to a continuation of a multi-billion dollar industry from people who don't see that you can't do anything with money when you have killed off the future of life on Earth. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and just to jump to the American political scene, I mean, Congress is, is in the pocket of both the nuclear industry and these national nuclear laboratories all over the place. I, again, it's just not just the nuclear industry. If it would just be 
big business, that would be one thing. But it's, it's, it's as I say, big business and big government. This issue is so enormous, but I think you have made just killer points today about the media's complicity in this, how the media has been gamed and has been gaming us. And I'm wondering if you have any final words of advice you might give to those of us who are activists as to what we can and should be doing to move forward in getting our word out, trusting that the small steps will add up to large steps will add up to us being able to turn this around. This is kind of like like World War II in a way. All kind of things are going to have to be done and must be done and have to be done. The plan for those 7 to 11 plants on Long Island was finally uh, stopped by people functioning politically, doing direct action. Right. Attempting to influence media and making their own media. I mean, a a variety of tools were used, and the result was uh, Shoreham, though it was completed, the first of the series of nuclear plants never went into commercial operation. It was closed. And the scheme for a... uh, 7 to 11 nuclear plants never got off the ground. Likewise, I think people um, have to use whatever they're comfortable with, whether it's civil disobedience, direct action, media work, political work, legal work, whatever, and do it locally with your local anti-nuclear group, your local safe energy group, uh, doing it uh, nationally with organizations like uh, Beyond Nuclear, uh, the Nuclear Information and Resource Service, Greenpeace, among others and become active on this issue, very active on them. Decades ago, the uh, the slogan was active today or radioactive tomorrow. And uh, I'm afraid, well, as, as, as the fallout from Fukushima continues to spread over this country and over this world, people are becoming impacted by that radioactivity. We just must, we must stand up and just stop this demonic force that has warped our energy future and in terms of media, has has just uh, corrupted American media. Carol Grossman, this has been an amazing talk. I think you have given us plenty to think about. What I'd like to do is uh, let people know what your website is, because you do have available a free download, uh, your book, Cover Up, What You Are Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power. So would you please give us your website? Yeah, it's just got to, people should go to Carl Grossman, call with a K, Grossman, one word, dot com. And uh, the folks uh, who published Cover Up What You're Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power actually wanted to put out a new edition after Fukushima, and I wrote a, a new intro, a 20-page intro, and nowhere. They couldn't get any interest in a new edition, but the publisher then just put the book right online, and you could uh, you can download it for free online. Lots of documents and all that, and that new introduction in terms of television, just go to envirovideo.com, one word, envirovideo.com. One I would suggest, this is one on Chernobyl, which I did a few days, six days before Fukushima, March 11th, uh, began, and then I added a piece on Fukushima. It's called Chernobyl, A Million Casualties, and that's based on, speaking of media cover-up, a very, very important report, a book, published by the New York Academy of Sciences, done by a team of European scientists saying that the consequences of the Chernobyl, 1986 Chernobyl disaster, excess deaths, particularly cancer, all around the world, and they present medical evidence of this. We're talking about 985,000 deaths they connect to Chernobyl. Have you read about that? Have you heard about that? Have you seen anything about that on mainstream media? Mainstream media, no. I've only heard about it through our own channels. You can, you can watch that program for free uh, either at envirovideo.com or envirovideo.blip.tv. And uh, just Google my name and uh, you'll see uh, like many, 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 many articles. And uh, Folks should get active themselves, too, in terms of gathering information, disseminating information. I mean, this media revolution that we're undergoing, I think, can do an end run around, a successful end run around the hold of traditional media institutions by these evil influences such as those behind uh, nuclear technology. Oh, my God, can we bottle you? (laughs) (laughs) 
Kyle Grossman is an investigative journalist who has specialized in reporting in a variety of media on nuclear and other issues for more than 45 years. Thank you so much for being with us today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Links to Carl Grossman's website and the free download of his ebook, Cover Up What You Are Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power, will be posted on the website nuclearhotseat.com and click on the blog tab. As for this week's final thought, some weeks I'm just all thought out, and this is one of them. So keep listening to the end because we're going to go out on the audio from the latest Friends of the Earth TV ad regarding San Onofre. I really like the guy's voice. It's so threatening. A link to the ad will also be up on our website, along with a link to the Friends of the Earth petition, nuclearfree.foe.org. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 29, 2013. Material for this podcast was gathered from enenews.com, Fukushima Diary written by Yori Mochizuki, Beyond Nuclear, LATimes.com, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission itself, Gigi Press, Asahi Shinbun, Slate.com, World Nuclear News, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook Network. You can find all our podcasts posted on NuclearHotSeat.com. There's now a link on the homepage, or you can click on the blog tab. Blog tab's easier. We can also be found if you friend Nuclear Hot Seat on its two Facebook pages, and you can get the entire library on iTunes podcasts. Share us, link to us. This is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep. One year ago, a radiation leak caused the emergency shutdown of a San Onofre nuclear reactor. If San Onofre is allowed to restart, there could be a more serious nuclear accident, one that requires a mass evacuation. Imagine, nearly eight and a half million people live within 50 miles of the reactors, and there's no way out, not on California's gridlock highways. Think about it. Could you get your family to safety? Demand no restart for San Onofre.